Hello and welcome to the Hormones in Harmony podcast. I'm your host, Vivian Allred, naturopathic nutritional therapist and hormone enthusiast. If you want to learn how to rebalance your female hormones, regulate your menstrual cycle and reclaim your vitality, then you are in the right place. Each week I will be delving into different conditions such as PCOS, endometriosis, infertility, hypothyroidism, acne and hair loss. Stay tuned for interviews with expert guests, Q&As and solo episodes that are all intended to help you move from hormonal chaos to hormonal harmony. If you'd like to submit a question for me to answer on the podcast, then you can email them to hormonesinharmony at gmail.com. The information shared on this podcast is intended for educational purposes only and is not designed to replace the advice of your health practitioner. That said, let's get into today's episode. Hi guys, hope you're all doing well. It's been a while since I recorded an intro or an episode because I kind of batch created them months ago now. And I thought for this week, I'm going to repurpose my two of my recent Instagram lives. So if you did tune into them already on my Instagram, maybe you want to skip past or it's always good to recap and listen to things again. So you might just want to refresh and go through some of the answers that I gave. But for those who um, miss them or don't have Instagram or like me, like to listen to things on the go whilst I'm on a walk and at double speed, because I'm a little bit impatient and I like to just get information quickly, then I prefer podcasts. So I thought I'd repurpose two of them. There are some other ones. So if you don't listen to um, my Instagram lives, then they're always saved on my IGTV. But in these two episodes, um, I've kind of um, joined them together and I cover lots of things, including parasite cleansing, detoxification, I get some questions about period problems as always, so hypothalamic amenorrhea, acne breakouts. I'm sure that there's something that you can resonate with and will find interesting. I also won't be recording an Instagram live this week because I'm actually going on holiday, which I'm super excited about. It's the holiday that was canceled at summer. Um, so I was meant to be going in July to my favorite place, St. Ives, Cornwall, but I've decided to move it a little bit later and go for my birthday, which is on Sunday the 20th, and I'll be turning 26. But I will not be recording an IG live this week. Um, the podcast was, is still obviously going ahead next week as well. But usually, so from this week or next week onwards, I'll be doing my regular and recent IG lives at 7pm UK time every Wednesday, which is around 11am PST. And they get saved directly to my IGTV as well. And you can always pre-submit questions. I sometimes do like a question box on the day before. So the Tuesday, if you go on my stories, there'll be a question box and you can submit questions there. Or just send me a DM and I shall add them to the list um, also. And some people have been asking about health-wise because the last solo episodes that I did were my mold, my mold experience or my mold journey part one and part two and I've been in my new place for I think it's like three months this week which is absolutely flown by another world is a little bit crazy right now and time is going extremely slow but extremely fast like I think March and April dragged and now it's just gone by in the blink of an eye and we have Christmas before we know it but yeah health-wise like been pretty good um Within a week, I could tell a difference with my health since moving from my old home, which was water damaged and had mold issues. So in my new place, within a week, I felt way less inflamed, 
my brain was actually functioning again because it felt like I had dementia for the last few months of living there, especially with it being locked down, not being able to really get out or exercise at all. My brain function and energy and everything really declined. And I got my stool test, so I bought loads of functional lab tests every year I do for myself, just as like an MLT. Still waiting for my Dutch test. I got some blood work done. My thyroid's pretty good. Still have elevated thyroid antibodies because my immune system's been absolutely crazy. So that's going to take a while to bring down. And it will be because my gut is a little bit off as well. So I don't expect my thyroid numbers to really change until my gut is better. Because again, living in mold for years, um, it really suppressed my immune system. Some of my immune markers when I tested at the start of the year were like rock bottom. My natural killer cells, my white blood cells were all chronically suppressed. And that's allowed for bacteria. Um, so some bad bacteria, things like Prevotella, H. pylori, um, have started to overgrow. Klebsiella is another one. And what's the other one? Um, yeah, a few of Clostridia. That one can cause a lot of anxiety. So I still have work to do on my gut, but the fact that I'm feeling this good now and I still have those issues and I know exactly what to do now that I've got some answers. So I'm going to start working on my gut health in a little bit more depth when I come back. My skin went pretty crazy um, at the start of my detoxification. I think it's just because my immune system started to come back online again and started to actually function and I was detoxing from mold. So my liver was like really burdened and my immune system had been suppressed for so long that as soon as I started upregulating things again, it was all coming out from my skin. It was like a huge purging period, but now my skin's pretty good, um, which I'm happy about. My hair went through a major shedding phase, which I do admit at first I was like, oh, oh no, not again, because that was one of my first ever symptoms along with acne. And it was one of the worst. Um, my skin and my hair loss were literally the worst things ever. So for those of you going through it, I totally can resonate. And when it happened again, I could feel all of those emotions and an anxious thoughts coming back in because you always think, is it going to just continue? Is it just going to keep shedding and shedding? And you kind of forget what is normal hair loss because it's normal for us to lose about 100 hairs on average every single day. But when you've gone through a period of shedding, you actually forgot, forget what normal is because it's just happening all the time. And I'm definitely not going to go back to my old behaviors where I would sit there and count every single hair that I'd lost to, to monitor and see how I compared to the average person, which is pretty like crazy behavior. But I, was, I used to be very desperate and like washing my hair with baby shampoo, never touching it, never like brushing or doing anything with it because it was that sensitive. But I realized like you can't really stop it once the hair loss cycles have started. You kind of just have to ride it out and work on the underlying imbalances. So mine is, again, just due to stress and my body's detoxification. It's getting rid of all kind of damaged hair and follicles. And it's going to eventually regrow healthy, healthy um, new hair strands. But my thyroid isn't out of range that much. Um, apart from the elevated antibodies, my T3 is normal. Um, my iron is perfect, so it's not those usual ones, the usual suspects. And other things have started to majorly improve as well. So my tolerance for food has increased. That's going to take a little bit longer because I've had these reactions of mast cell type of responses for years now. So I can't expect it to completely resolve in three months. But I'm actually going to be going back to the restaurant that I went to last year. If you've been following my journey for a while, and you might remember me explaining that last summer in Cornwall, so where I'm going this year, 
I went to a Thai restaurant and I ate, it's like a really nice high quality, so not like a takeaway junk food type, but I had um, tamari duck. So it had this kind of, it was delicious, this sauce that was on there, like really fresh, but I had kind of like like seizures and, and like a really bad reaction from it the next day where I was having cyclical vomiting and fainting and um, like vomiting blood. Sorry, this is TMI by the way. But yeah, it, the MSG in the sauce that they'd used, it kind of set my brain on fire. And I'm actually going to go back to that restaurant this year and try it again. So maybe at the end of my trip, just to make sure I don't ruin the whole journey. But that will be a really good testament as to how well my health and how much my health has improved this past year. So I'm, I'm a guinea pig. I want to test it out. And that meal was absolutely delicious. So I'm definitely going to be having it again and we'll see how things go but definitely less itchy less reactive less puffy um the dandruff that i was getting the um seboric or seboric dermatitis on my scalp on my hairline and the sides of my nose was pretty much cleared up i did have a major histamine flare um about three days ago up to then i was doing pretty good and I started training again with my PT. Usually she works at my regular gym, but she's stopped working there now since lockdown. So she's got her own gym in like an old warehouse or like an old mill, which is like two minutes from where I live. So I've been once before and I did like think of how moldy it was because it's like down, it's like under underground as well, like in the basement. So as soon as I went in, I could smell the mustiness and you could see like how old the building was and how you could actually see like the black mold out there but the first time I felt fine I was trying to like not breathe in so I was trying to exercise but like literally not breathe at the same time she's like take deep breaths I was like okay I don't really want to but and then I went back about three or four days ago now and I was like oh it mustn't be too bad I must because I'm only in there for an hour it mustn't be too reactive so I went for the hour as soon as I left I and had a shower and everything I felt really exhausted and nothing else would kind of explain as to why that was. I didn't do a ton of heavy lifting or anything like that. I wasn't near my period. I just kind of finished my period. So my energy was pretty good otherwise, but I felt really exhausted and drained and didn't feel motivated to do anything. And then my mum came around um, just to visit and I just wasn't, I just didn't really feel sociable. I just felt like really low and, and the, the light was bothering me as well. I just felt really reactive to light. Um, I had to put sunglasses on inside because it was just irritating me how bright it was. And she was like, are you okay? And it's like, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. Um, I just feel really tired and weak. And then she left and about an hour later, I just felt this overwhelming rush of depression and low mood so I haven't felt that like I've been depressed a couple of times before just from being on the pill and my health issues those things have triggered depression in the past but I just started crying like literally out of nowhere for about an hour straight and I felt really anxious I felt really low so I had to text her like can you come back I, I really don't feel well um I feel like really lightheaded and I had a banging head like headache at the same time so she came around, I was literally just crying for like two hours. And then I realized, okay, it's the mold exposure. I think my body had been in that first time and thought, okay, this isn't great. You've been out of mold now for three months. 
and then I went back the second time and it was like nope this isn't good environment you're not going to go back again so I'm sadly not going to go back to train with her at least for a while I'm just going to stick with my regular gym um, and my building now has opened like a little gym as well which is good but yeah crazy like how something like that can affect your mood and it can be that you become a little bit more sensitive and hyper reactive it's like when you are eating gluten for your entire life and you're sensitive to it and then when you remove it you feel amazing your body's loving it it's less inflamed and then if you only have like a tiny piece of bread afterwards you get major reactions and people think that they've all of a sudden become sensitive to gluten and they're like you've you've made me sensitive i never used to have a problem i could eat pasta and bread every day but now it makes me really sick but it's you've always had that inflammatory reaction it's just been chronic and at a low grade level so you don't get those obvious immediate symptoms but instead it just becomes this chronic inflammation which long term can lead to disease so i am like the canary in the coal mine that mold is going to be affecting everyone but it's people like me about 25% of the population have genetics where our immune system doesn't recognize mold as a problem. So it's just allowed to stay in the system and proliferate and suppress everything and send your hormones crazy. So yeah, I'm going to learn my lesson and try to be in low mold environments for, for as long as I can. But I think once my body has a little bit more time to strengthen, so maybe at that six to 12 month mark, it's not going to have it's not going to have to be as big of a problem that it is now i think it's just because it's still very early days and my body is just like really trying to heal at the moment and then any slight exposure is just going to throw me off track so yes learn my lesson and that's enough about me for now uh, but in the episode coming up i'm also going to share a little bit more about my recent parasite cleansing experience because that has been an experience i don't know if you've followed along with some of my um, stories on Instagram because I've shared a little bit about what happened to me but if you're currently listening and you're eating something maybe listen to this later because I go a little bit into detail a bit of graphic detail but it's crazy what happened with this new parasite cleanse that I'm doing and I've tried I've been on like gut healing protocols like 20 times in my life and I've never physically seen anything come out of me so that's what happened so tune in carry on listening if you're interested in learning about that and tons of other subjects and i hope you enjoy this episode we'll start off with the most requested thing because since i posted a few hours ago about my parasite cleanse i've had a ton of dms and messages asking what the hell do i mean so we'll start with that first because i think that's why everyone is tuning in to learn a little bit more about my experience but Basically, I've been learning more about parasites and I knew that they were a problem. I've always known that, but recently I've been doing a lot of training, one second, with um, Cellcore Biosciences. They have a sister company called Microbe Formulas and they talk a lot about um, how parasites are actually at the root of a lot of problems, more of like the chronic health conditions, although they can be a problem for anyone, regardless of where you're living in the world. So just because you're in um, a first world country, the US, the UK, Australia, you can still have issues with parasites. Even if you've done a stool test, which I've done, I've had parasites in the past, blastocystis and dens amoeba. So I know I've had parasites in the past, 
but if you think of how many a school test checks, the GIMAC, for example, checks maybe like six or seven parasites. And in comparison, there's probably hundreds, if not thousands of unrecognized species. So I decided to do a parasite protocol with CellCore Biosciences. And this little product here, if you get it through CellCore directly, which is a practitioner account, it's known as Para1. If you get it through the microformulas, it's known as just Mimosa pudica, I think. So that's what's in here. There's different types of Mimosa pudica on the market. I'd never heard of it up until like a few months ago, but it's one of the best things for parasites. It kind of smothers them a little bit. And it's known as a gut scrubber. And I started taking them maybe a week ago, just one capsule a day. So I just thought I'd see how I got on because I'm pretty sensitive to supplements. And then nothing really happened. I took two capsules in the morning on an empty stomach and started to get some stomach cramps. Then I left it until that settled and felt like I was doing good. So I bumped it up to the, the full dose, which is two capsules twice a day on an empty stomach. And I did that three days ago. And this morning I went to the bathroom as always. And it felt like really difficult to pass. So I'm not usually constipated, but it just felt really difficult to pass for some reason. So I went to, sorry if this is TMI, I hope no one's having breakfast right now or the dinner in the UK, but I went to wipe and there was literally some sort of worm hanging out my butt. <laughs> and I heard that this is a possibility because the, the guys, the founders of, um, I see someone laughing, yes. It, was not funny at the time I was like I knew what it was I was like oh no I actually said oh no when it happened so I had to literally pull it out which wasn't a good experience it was kind of stretchy and then I looked it in the toilet afterwards and it was definitely some sort of unidentifiable object there's a whole thing whether it is a parasite or if it's just a mucoid plaque it's kind of a buildup of mucus, but whatever it is, it needed to come out anyway. So that's, <laughs> that was the situation. And yeah, I just can't believe that happened. Some people, they take one capsule and that happens. Some people, they need to be on it for three to six months at the full dose before anything happens. So I expect that I've just unlocked the floodgates at this moment and I, I'll, I'll keep you updated whatever happens. But as long as they're getting out, I don't really care. And this is important for any health condition, parasite cleansing. If you think about what we do for animals, you give your dog deworming tablets, hopefully um, a couple of times a year. And as humans, we need to be doing that regularly as well, whether or not you've traveled. I've never been to like a third world country, um, really. I got food poisoning bad in America. Um, it's a salad bar. So nowhere that you'd expect to pick up parasites. So I feel like I eliminated the blasto and the, the, the entamoeba, the common parasites that are pretty microscopic. So some of these long liver flukes, threadworms, flatworms, um, they're usually the visible ones. And the name parasite kind of tells you what they are. They're draining your energy, they're stealing your nutrients. And I eat like a great diet, organic, take all of these supplements. And this is one of the best supplements that I've taken for it to have that quick result for someone who's been on their health journey for six, seven years. 
Um, it's absolutely crazy. So if I've got parasites, any of you listening probably have as well. So how did I know that I had a worm or just anything there? So I visibly saw it and felt it and it came out. I don't know what type of worm or if it was mucoid plaque, like I said, but something definitely came out and I've never had that experience before. So yeah, I'm going to continue. And part of the protocol as well is doing a full moon cleanse. So there's a full moon coming up at the start of September. I think it's the third. So on that day, I'm going to do um, the cell core protocol where you do two capsules every hour for about eight hours on an empty stomach. So I'm going to plan on waking up early and yeah, we'll see how, how that happens because on the full moon, parasites are actually more active. I will keep you posted. So what supplements am I taking for my cleanse? So um, Hannah, it was the Cellcore Biosciences Para One. This is a practitioner product, but they have a sister company called Microbe Formulas, and it's the Mimosa Pudica seed. Some parasite blends have Mimosa Pudica, and it's actually the seed that is the most effective. And if you just Google that and the Cellcore website, there's a whole blog post and article on it. And yeah, the founders are always talking about the um, how effective it is. Some people take one, and there's parasites coming out of the nose, and passing six feet long tapeworms afterwards i'm going to be doing some training with them from tomorrow until saturday or sunday i think online so i will be passing on any wisdom or knowledge that i learn and yeah this is just really emphasize the importance of parasites because they actually hold and harbor other smaller infections like viruses bacteria um, and mold and yeast so I've been doing a mold protocol and I think the key piece here for me to get 100% better is to address the parasites. And for those who struggle with Lyme, they can have all the treatment, they can take antibiotics after antibiotics and they don't get better. And they're either missing parasites and or mold in that situation. So I don't know if anyone has any more questions on that um someone i need to go yeah i feel like i need therapy after this morning and i was expecting it so yeah just a bit of a shock you know um yes and someone had parasites out of the nose which is crazy do mold parasites go hand in hand yeah so as i said the parasites can harbor mold and um, yeast but then the there's another situation as well where they can just suppress your immune system so much that you're more likely to pick up or contract parasites or have a difficult time getting rid of them so i want to move now on to questions so i screenshotted and i'll just pull them up on my screen here questions that i received yesterday on instagram but if you do have any questions live just ask them below and i'll try and get to them Probably be staying on for maybe 30 to 60 minutes, but we'll just see. It'll cut me off after 60 minutes and I'm going to save this um, live as well so you can watch it back on Facebook or Instagram. So how, to, how early to start, how early is it to start planning for pregnancy currently on the pill? As soon as possible from the moment you get your period if you're currently in your teenage years, but yeah, you want to give your body absolute minimum of three months from when you stop the pill before trying to conceive. I know some people fall pregnant a lot quicker than that. And some people have totally healthy pregnancies, but unfortunately, some people don't. They have miscarriage or they have children with health issues. 
and it may be because the hormones haven't been regulated after being suppressed for a long period of time or it could be that the the very nutrient deficient after being on the pill because it robs you of certain important minerals like folate and zinc that are needed for healthy hormones so minimum three months ideally one to two years that's pretty doable for most people but then don't feel guilty if you didn't do that with your children or pregnancies. Like I'm literally preparing for pregnancy now and it's not gonna happen for a while yet. Which period apps do you like? Um, I like the MyFlow app by Elisa Vitti. She is a hormone, she's into the whole cycle syncing. So that's a good one because it gives you information on um, the follicular phase and things that you can do and try during that time to optimize your hormones. Um, so that is my FLO. There's, I know there's another one called Flow, but it's my Flow, and it's like a pink, pink flower, I think. But I would advise against using a period app to use as contraception. So it's not going to be accurate to tell you when you're ovulating or not. It just goes based off your last period. So that's kind of the family. Um, what's it called family planning method which isn't accurate so you need to be doing if you're using it for contraception you need to be temperature charting or looking for fertile signs around that time and then avoiding um, avoiding intercourse during that time or using protection causes of low body temp on basal body thermometer so this is what i was saying you can take your temperature every day first thing in the morning and then when you see a spike that's showing that you're ovulating that would be the time that you're fertile in the month but if your temperatures are chronically low that can be due to almost always um, an underactive thyroid even if your doctor's told you that everything's fine with your thyroid you need to have that looked at by someone who's looking at optimal ranges so functional ranges because i can't tell you how many times people have told that they're normal they show me the lab results and they're completely out of range and they're still struggling with health symptoms their doctors are just waiting for them to get to a disease state where they need to be on thyroid hormone and the thyroid's pretty messed up at that point it's sluggish metabolism and low thyroid causing the low body temperature what's the connection between pcos and endometriosis um inflammation probably is the connector between the two a lot of people have both of them simultaneously and things like insulin and cortisol can drive both conditions as well and i would say look into gut health because certain over, uh, overgrowth of certain bacteria the lipopolysaccharide that's produced lps or endotoxin it is found in high amounts in both of them pcof the pcos studies have shown that women with pcos have high levels of bad bacteria lower levels of good bacteria and then they've done studies on endometriosis and found that the menstrual blood of those with endometriosis has high levels of lps so gut bacteria inflammation and insulin are the, the connectors between the two does everyone need probiotics brand recommendations um, you can get probiotic rich foods if you tolerate them i personally don't so things like sauerkraut kefir kimchi you can, I suppose, get it through your diet, but I recommend people take a supplement maybe every three months if they have to, if they can't do it, if you can't do it every month, just to support their body because we live in such a toxic world these days that our gut needs support ongoing. 
even if you're eating a good diet, there's fluoride in the water and pesticides in our, our food. So just as like an insurance policy, I would at least keep a probiotic on rotation and add it in during times of stress or like winter months or when you're traveling at least. And the type that I like is spore-based probiotics or soil-based probiotics because these are the ones that we've evolved with. These are the ones that kind of implant into the gut and can cause major changes. They can reduce levels of overgrowth of bacteria if that's the situation, whereas other refrigerated or store-bought probiotics can actually make that situation worse, something like SIBO. And um, because they are more, they work so that they are obviously more expensive and the results last even when you stop taking them. I personally like Megaspore by Microbiome Labs, or they have a sister company called Just Thrive. And it's just called, I think it's just called Just Thrive Probiotic. Which stool test do I use and why? So I use, if I use a stool test, I would use the GI map by Diagnostic Solutions Lab because I find that it's the most comprehensive. But as my story showed today, like my recent stool test showed that I didn't have any parasites. And from what I saw this morning, I don't believe that it's 100% accurate because it looks at seven parasites out of potentially hundreds, if not thousands. So I haven't been using stool tests lately as much as I have in the past because they are expensive and I just feel like there's certain things that we can do to optimize, optimize gut health without testing, but it is available for those um, if needed, if they're still symptomatic and we're not sure why. The GIMAP looks at bacteria, yeast, parasites, worms, digestion, absorption, immunity, um, a gluten intolerance marker, which isn't 100% accurate especially if you're not consuming it regularly, but that would be the most comprehensive, in my opinion. So I want to answer any questions on Instagram. Can I share any, any info on her thinning, miniaturization, and how to reverse it? So yeah, there's a few reasons for that. If you're female, I'm not sure you are, your name's Jamie. So um, yeah, if you're female, it can be due to high levels of androgens. So male hormones, they can, like DHT, dihydrotestosterone, that can shrink the hair follicle on the head and widen or expand the hair follicles on the face and body of females, causing hirsutism and that male patterned hair loss. It may be inflammatory or autoimmune in nature. So that leads you back to gut health. So parasites, other bacterial overgrowth, it's a low stomach acid, and obviously stress stress being mental and emotional stress so if that is the factor for you then working on that but stress is also heavy metals uh, mineral imbalances not sleeping enough over exercise so they would be the main things poor gut health hormones and what's the other one i said can't remember Okay, so let me continue on from yesterday's questions. Remember, if you're just tuning in, you can ask questions below and I'll try and get to them. Why is it that when I have constipation for a few days, I crave more snacks, sweets, and cakes? Um, interesting. So yeah, I've seen this before. It's usually due to auto-intoxication. So when you're not eliminating every day, your body's going to recirculate a lot of bad stuff. 
So hormones that have been used like estrogen or estrogen, it sends it back into circulation. So that can be causing an estrogen dominant type condition and sugar cravings and binge eating are common results of that. It could also be due to the effect that it's having on your gut bacteria. So you're probably recirculating waste products, things like ammonia that are caused. Some people actually feel pretty drunk after not going to the bathroom. They feel like spacey, brain fog. And it's because all of these toxins and things are messing with your brain and your appetite centers of the brain. Some people can get complete lack of appetite when they're constipated. Some people go the other way when they're just constantly hungry, constantly wanting to eat. So yeah, I think it's probably due to either of those things. What do I think of bioenergetic testing and treatment? I've never done it personally. Um, so bioresonance is something that I've wanted to do for a while. So there's a company, I think it's called Balanced Health Solutions or something in the US. They do ship worldwide from what I believe. And they use kind of electromagnetic frequencies to check different imbalances in different organs or bodily systems. So similar to how acupuncture works on the meridians, there's definite connection between energetic and um, physical imbalances. So whatever symptom you have, whether it's headaches or chronic fatigue or infertility, there's always some sort of mental and emotional, energetic, spiritual blockage as well. So if you've got the resources and the finances to do that, then that's great. But you, I, don't, I don't think you can just do the bioenergetic stuff and not address the physical imbalances. Lots of CBD products everywhere now. What are your thoughts on it? Is it just a trend? No, I don't believe it's a trend. Um, I think people are using it for ob obvious reasons. They're obviously benefiting from it. I don't personally re tend to use that or doesn't tend to be my go-to for clients. I've just used other things like adaptogenic herbs and always focusing on the lifestyle, the sleep, the mindset beliefs type um, side of things as well. So if you still have traumas and limiting beliefs and you're taking CBD, you're probably not going to get the results that you are after. So I think there's benefits, there's different qualities with CBD. So there's the good ones that are pretty expensive. A personal favorite is the Quicksilver Scientific CBD liposomal, but pretty expensive for most people and it doesn't even last a month. But that one really shows the benefits. And I know that certain states in the US legalize cannabis and it can be amazing for medicinal benefits. But something like the CBD from Holland and Barrett's in the UK, probably a waste of time. It might just be that people are getting a placebo effect. So they believe that the symptoms are improving because of CBD and they do. Not that that's a bad thing at the end of the day because you're still getting improvements, but I just prefer to use other things with most people. So someone's asking as well about probiotics, how often do they need changing? I don't think the spore-based ones that I mentioned before need to be rotated like the other ones can because they're, they're just so beneficial for the gut and they can influence a lot of different things. But if you're, if you're still using the regular ones, I would try and get a variety of them. Whereas the spore-based ones, I'd rather you just do one bottle every three months or so. How do HRT reacts hormone replacement therapy reacts differently to pills in a body so i think you mean birth control pills 
they're pretty similar. So it just depends on how old you are. Maybe the dosage of them is a little bit different, but um, most of them are similar with the negative effects. If the HRT is bioidentical, then that's going to obviously be much better than synthetic hormones. So that would be the only caveat. If you're going to do either, it would be bioidentical hormone replacement therapy, but most practitioners, most countries don't offer that. What made you get into this line of work? Who are you certified through and wanting to get into it to my, wanting to get into it myself? So I got into this work from my own health issues. So my health issues, I thought started around the age of 17, 18, but looking back, I think it's much earlier than that. I just didn't know. But I got into an overexercise under eating pattern, lost my period, developed cystic acne, lost a ton of hair. I went on the pill to try and fix things, made me 10 times worse, went to the US to work at a summer camp and got really bad food poisoning, was working way too long in the intense heat, wasn't eating enough and yeah, got food poisoning twice, a potential tick bite or mosquito bite contracting Lyme in that time and I was also living in a mouldy house as well so that all just made everything 10 times worse and I just wasn't getting anywhere from my conventional doctors so I learned about nutritional therapy I went to see one myself she really helped me figure out that the pill wasn't a good idea helped me transition off get some testing done and then I studied at the College of Naturopathic Medicine so this is a college they have satellite colleges across the UK and I went to the Manchester one I think they do online courses as well now and I studied there for three years and became a naturopathic nutritional therapist. So I'm trained in naturopathic principles. So in the US, I know that naturopaths are a really common thing, like a naturopathic doctor. We don't have that in the UK. So I'm a nutritional therapist who has been trained in many of the same principles. I just can't diagnose or prescribe medication. That would be the only difference, I think. Any thoughts on life changes that might help with a yeast imbalance on the scalp also separate dermatitis on the face that occurs more when i eat bad yeah that's usually i had the exact i had the exact same thing i had dermatitis on my hairline and at the side of my nose and actually during my detox protocol these past few weeks it flared up a little bit so that was showing me that things were happening inside my body i've come to the conclusion that it's mainly due to a yeast overgrowth in the body so either candida mold either or of those things and that could be why the sugar or the bad food that you're eating is feeding it because sugar feeds yeast in the body um so usually that or some sort of food sensitivity for me high histamine foods were a trigger for my dermatitis it was just causing inflammation in my body and that would cause it to be really itchy so my scalp would be literally red raw after um, I'd eat certain foods, a lot of the healthy foods that I was being told to eat were actually making me much worse. So things like tomatoes, citrus, bone broth. But that might not be the case for you. So I would look into gut health and yeast, mold, those types of things. Oh yeah, you asked underneath. Could, yeah, definitely could be mold related. And just strengthening your immune system because when your body has poor immunity it doesn't regulate the yeast and the bacteria on your skin correctly so we all have trillions of bacteria in and on our skin but 
if your immune system suppressed, then it's allowed to proliferate and take over. So you can end up with acne or rosacea, or you can have dermatitis. So strengthening the immune system. Did I keep my electronics when I moved? Phone and laptop. Thanks for your help. So yeah, this is in relation to me moving homes because of mold illness. So um, there's some people online who say you need to get rid of absolutely everything because it's contaminated and infested and all of that. There's certain situations where I would agree if you're like chronically sick, bed bound, can't function, severely sensitive to mold and you have black mold or major overgrowth in your home, I would probably just ditch everything and start fresh. Mine wasn't that severe. I did have an issue with mold in the home and I was quite sick from it, but it wasn't to the severity. So I had to weigh up like the pros and the cons. Was it worth getting rid of everything, buying fresh and having a huge stress because of that? Or did I want to try and clean what I could, take things step by step and see how I was improving and work on that mindset that there's never going to be a completely mold-free environment? I chose the latter and it's obviously working. I, within a week, felt like a different person. I was moving into a new home anyway, and this was already planned. So I, I had to buy like a new couch and mattress, which came at the right time anyway, because if you're going to get rid of anything, it would be those things, things that are porous, things that you can't really clean well. Clothes, I've managed to bring, I threw a lot away just because I was trying to be a minimalist, but managed to clean all of my clothes thoroughly, which is amazing because I really love my clothes and that would have been so upsetting if I had to throw them away with my books. And all of this is in a podcast episode, by the way, I think it's number 78 or 79 of the Hormones in Harmony podcast. I do a part one and part two of my mold journey. So the part one is about how I found out that I had mold symptoms. So if you're interested or want to learn more, definitely check that one out. And then the part two is me explaining about my moving process my detoxification protocol and yesterday on youtube i uploaded a, a, like a vlog like the first vlog ever um and it was a day in my life doing a mold detox so i shared with you like a full day of things that i would do it was doing a few months back to overcome this issue so you can look at that as well okay What you described is literally me. What did you determine you had? Was it PCOS mold? I've been told different things. Um, I think this is in, was this the um, dermatitis question or the um, her loss one? I'm not sure. But yeah, I've been diagnosed with like a ton of things. And I think at the root of it all was the mold. Um, so PCOS is a symptom of something deeper. SIBO is a symptom of something deeper. And if you're breathing in toxic air, if you're drinking toxic water with heavy metals, if you're eating toxic food with pesticides and bad quality nutrients, then they're the foundational things I've come to realize. So it's clean food, clean air, clean water. And if you're still symptomatic from there, um, you need to look a little bit deeper. Okay, questions. Again, if you've got questions, you can ask them below. Do I eat dairy products? Um, I use ghee at the moment and butter and they work well for me. I tried some cheese the other month and it didn't go well. So I had some loose stools and um, no parasites that time though. But I did my genetic testing a few months back 
and I have the genetic mutation where I, I should be able to tolerate dairy. So it's, it's like the opposite. If you have a genetic mutation, your body usually can tolerate dairy and you're lactose tolerant. So I, I feel like I will be able to tolerate dairy and I want to just for the nutrients and I feel like it can be a health food for some people. But at the moment, just because my body's still recovering from some of these things, it's not working at the moment, but I definitely feel like it could be. And whenever I will, I will eat dairy in the future, it will always be organic, high quality, um, all that good stuff. I'm not going to be going for the dairy cheese anytime soon. What would you suggest for low stomach acid and floating stools? So I would suggest um, working on your liver, gallbladder and bile flow because if your bile flow is sluggish and you're not producing good amounts of bile, your stomach acid will lower as a result of that. So bile is very alkaline and bile is what is shot from the gallbladder into the small intestine once you eat fats in your meal. The stomach acid coming from the top from your stomach is very acidic the pH of between one and two, like battery acid. So if you have sluggish bile, you don't have enough alkalinity to neutralize that acid coming in. So your body will think, oh, I'm getting some burning, some irritation. Let's reduce stomach acid levels even more so that that doesn't happen. So I've recently learned that whole process and that low stomach acid is almost always as a result of um, low bile or sluggish bile flow. So it's start there. Um, the company that I mentioned before, Cellcore, or Microbe Formulas, they do a product called Tudka, T-E-D-C-A, and it's literally one of my favorite supplements ever at this point. So it is man-made, but it's a bile acid, but it's suitable for vegetarian vegans as well, unlike something like Oxbile, which I've used previously for people. Obviously, if you're vegetarian, vegan or Muslim, you can't really have that. So this is an amazing alternative. And it does literally everything that you want for your liver, gallbladder and bile flow. It improves detoxification. It helps you synthesize more new bile, healthier bile. And it helps you eradicate old, sludgy, unhealthy bile as well. Um, yeah, so the company is Cellcore, C-E-L-L-C-O-R-E. Biosciences, B-I-O-S-C-I-E-N-C-E-S. I'm going to write it here, actually. So, so-called biosciences. So that company also has another company, like a sister company called Microbe Formulas. And you might be able to get it from there as well, but it's, I'd never heard of it again up until a few months ago. And it's one of my favorite supplements ever at this point, but start slowly because it can make some big changes. If you're okay with Oxbell, does it work as well as Cellcore? Yeah, I think I feel like it's actually improving the root cause. So just taking Oxbell is just supplementing an enzyme that's lacking. So it's not really addressing the root cause of the problem, whereas the Tudka will. It's actually dealing with the underlying imbalances. How would I work on the bile? So Tudka would be my main, main one. Making sure that you're eating enough choline. And this is a nutrient that's really important for a lot of different things, particularly in pregnancy. Our choline requirements go up quite dramatically. 
and it's only really found in animal products. So egg yolks and liver tend to be the best sources and that really helps your body to create phosphatidylcholine which is involved in liver, gallbladder and bile flow and coffee enemas are another favorite so coffee enemas are amazing at stimulating new bile just getting it flowing again you could also consider something like a gallbladder flush but make sure you're working with a practitioner if that is the case because it can release things like stones and that can be painful any thoughts on tibetan mushroom the kefir that's made from the milk mixed with the mushrooms is said to be maxed out with bacteria can too much bacteria cause harm? So the last part of the question, yes, too much bacteria can cause harm. Too much of anything can be a negative thing at some point. Too much water, too much oxygen. I've never heard of the Tibetan mushroom before, so I can't answer on that, unfortunately. But I'm a fan of medicinal mushrooms, unless you're someone dealing with candida overgrowth. I've, I've seen them not to be totally well tolerated. What are my thoughts on Botox? Um, I personally wouldn't get it. I don't think, I'm, I'll never say never, but it's just not something that I'm gonna um, be interested in, I don't think, because at the end of the day, it's botulism. So like a huge neurotoxin. And they say to, that it's only in a localized area, but people, everyone knows that it can spread elsewhere. There's people who, start to get um, numbness and things elsewhere in the neck in the face and it's literally inches from the brain so i'm not a huge fan i feel like there's tons of other things that you can do naturally to support your like healthy aging process and your skin quality anything from red light therapy microneedling retinol um, lymphatic massage gua sha so many things that you can do but if that's like your one toxin that you allow yourself to get exposed to and you're doing everything else in your lifestyle and diet as optimal as possible and it's making you really self-conscious that you have deep lines and wrinkles then you just have to kind of weigh up the pros and cons for yourself but make sure you are doing it for yourself not someone else and make sure that any underlying limiting beliefs or negative self-esteem and body image is addressed before just turning to a cosmetic procedure the tudka should yes deal with the floating stools because it's going to help you build your own stomach acid naturally and it's going to help you digest the fats in your food rather than them coming out the stools how do you recommend getting started with coffee enemas i'm on phase one of microbe formulas and think i could benefit from them i have mold and parasite yeah you could definitely benefit from coffee enemas i have a blog post and guide on my website um, which you can just search my website is linked in my instagram bio on my bio and the you only need basic resources so an enema kit on amazon probably 20 pounds 30 dollars or so and um, make sure it's the silicone one or stainless steel i like the aussie a-u-s-s-i-e brand and you need organic enema coffee. So I just search organic enema coffee on Amazon and there's a few brands on there like S.A. Wilson's Robusta Health. And it's usually the light roast pre-ground coffee. Just make sure you get small bags and just use that regularly 
otherwise it can go a little bit rancid if it's open for a while and you need filtered water as well so if you don't have something like a Berkey you would just buy ideally glass bottled water and use that brew the coffee following the instructions on the guide make yourself comfortable in your bathroom try and do this in the morning after a bell movement if possible just makes things a lot easier and yeah just follow the procedure hold or retain the fluid for 20 to 30 minutes so you can split that into two 15 minutes i've been doing that recently and found that that's actually more effective but obviously takes longer and take some binders afterwards so cellcore do like a biotoxin binder one of those or the hemt i think it's called hmnt or something the heavy metal and environmental toxins binder take something like that afterwards or some sort of charcoal to mop up any toxins that are released during the process. Should you do a test to determine if you have been affected by mold? If so, which test? Um, yeah, if you've got if you've got a known history of it, and you're also displaying symptoms of mold illness, which I cover some of them on the podcast series that I did on mold. I think it's number seventy nine or eighty. And if you resonate with any of those symptoms you're struggling with a health issue that a healthy diet and lifestyle doesn't affect and you have a known mold exposure in your home then you can pretty much assume that it's a factor there's also an online test called the vcs test and that is an eye test that you can run for like 10 pounds 15 dollars online and if you fail that test then that's pretty much positive that you have an issue with mold or mycotoxins because these mold toxins, they affect your optic nerve. If you think about how alcohol works, it affects your vision after a while. And it's the same with mold, yeast, candida. They're all in the same family as alcohol. And over time, these mycotoxins can damage your optic nerve and the way that you see colours, shapes, and your visual acuity. So if you fail that test, and that's a pretty good sign that you have mold, if you pass the test, then that doesn't mean to say that you don't have mold because I passed the test, but I had major levels of mycotoxins like off the charts. So just bear that in mind, but that's a good start starting point along with a health history. And then you could potentially do something like a urine mycotoxin test. I like the one from Great Plains Labs, or you can do or consider an organic acid test that has some fungal markers on there. But again, my organic acid test came back fine. So you can't always just use one thing. It needs to be a combination and a good practitioner can help you figure that out a little bit more. You're welcome. Someone said, thank you for spending so much time with us. Again, I'm happy to stay on till 8 p.m. So 15 minutes or so. If you've got any questions on Instagram or Facebook, just ask them now because I'm nearly up with the ones that were asked yesterday. Someone asked, what's my favorite brand for coffee enemas? I've answered that one, S.A. Wilson's. Can I do? Can you do any detox whilst pregnant? How to deal with nausea and heat exhaustion, if not? I think this is in relation to the post that I did yesterday on Instagram, showing how being hot and flustered and irritable in the heat can be linked to poor liver detoxification and an excess of pitta. So in Ayurvedic medicine, your pitta, your fire, can cause a flare-up of anger, irritation, those types of things. So you can't do like intense protocols while whilst pregnant because you're going to mobilize things like heavy metals into the system 
which can be harmful to the baby, but just basic things, support detoxification. So making sure that you go into the bathroom two to three times a day, making sure that you're drinking enough water. Um, you can do some gentle exercise, get sweating. You can do um, just basic things like that, sleeping, that's where you detox. And you can't do any like herbs or saunas or enemas or anything like that. So just really focus on the, the basics. And for nausea, you can try something like ginger tea. You can try vitamin B6 if that's suitable in your situation. Small, frequent meals, sleeping with your head propped up a little bit. Um, and for the heat exhaustion, just trying to stay cool as much as possible, wearing like clothing, making sure that you're um, staying hydrated, not having a ton of heating or cooked foods. If you look at pitta aggravating foods on Google, then they're the ones to maybe reduce. Or if you look at pitta pacifying foods or cooling foods, they're the ones to increase, but they're going to be more of your fresh fruits and vegetables and lighter proteins as opposed to like heavy, heavier foods. Do I have thoughts on oxalate issues? Yeah, almost always due to an overgrowth of yeast, mold, and maybe some nutrient deficiencies like B6 and potentially magnesium and the organic acid test gives good insight into oxalate issues and when you have elevated ox oxalates in the system it can cause joint pain fatigue um, and things like vulvodynia bladder pain so it is actually quite a common issue i don't know if it's just the people that i work with but the goal isn't just to avoid all oxalate foods forever because then you're going to end up very restricted and frustrated. But it's the goal to identify the root cause of the problem. You might need to temporarily restrict them just to reduce the, the burden. But long term, you want to figure out actually what's going on. You're welcome. I'm going to stay on for a little bit longer. If you want to ask any questions, post them on Facebook or Instagram. Let me see couple more questions here. What are my thoughts on genetic mutations and infertility and also mold illness? I'm not a genetic like practitioner. There's other people that can that specialize in that. So one of them is Beth O'Hara and Kelly Holderman. They both specialize, they're both um, on the pod, on my podcast as well they specialize in genetics but i believe that your genetics are only your predisposition it's good to know what your weak links are in your genes but ultimately you're in control as to whether they're expressed or not with the diet you eat the lifestyle that you live the environmental toxins that you expose yourself to so there's a saying that genetics love the gun but environment pulls the trigger i totally agree with that same with something like breast cancer you can have a strong family history of breast cancer, but you can absolutely have control over whether that's expressed or not by doing regular Dutch testing, checking your estrogen metabolites, making sure that your gut's healthy, avoiding plastics and parabens in the, in the environment, reducing alcohol, exercising, managing your body weight. You can dramatically reduce your, your um, likelihood of developing cancer with some of those things. Microbe formula, do you have to be working with a practitioner to buy from the, not the microbe one, I don't think. 
there might be certain products that aren't available that are only practitioner grade, but they definitely do the Mimosa Pudica Seed disguise. And a few of the other ones that I like, you can buy them from Microb Formula. So it's a US company, but I feel like they ship worldwide, but you'll have to reach out and check with them. And yeah, I'm excited to do my training with them. So we're learning all about mitochondrial health, and a lot of their products are based around carbons, fulvic acid, and humic acid. So that's why I feel like they're so powerful. These molecules are like adaptogens in the body. So they give your body what it needs. They take away anything that they don't. And people ask as well with the binders, why do they all look like similar ingredients, but they all do separate things. It's the, the formulation of them, the way that the, like the electrical charge of them as to what they're attracted to because some of them are attracted to mold or mycotoxins. Some of them are attracted to heavy metals, glyphosate. So I think the science is all on the website, but I will be definitely sharing more on what I learn. Um, someone's asking, a heavy coated white tongue, is that only ever an indication of candida? What would I, and which test would I use? So mainly due to candida but it could also just be due to poor digestion overall it's known as like a i think it's called agni in ayurvedic medicine and um, basically just toxins coming from the system and things not being processed correctly so you end up with this buildup of gunk pretty much on the tongue the tongue should have a slight coating so it shouldn't be completely clear and they say like a thin, translucent, slightly white coating on the tongue is healthy, a nice pinkish color, not bright red or not any cracks, um, major cracks anywhere. And if the tongue's quivering, that could be a sign of magnesium deficiency. So there's a lot of things that your body can tell you. And I do have a podcast episode on these things as well. If you want to learn more, I was talking about what your hair, hair loss and things can indicate nails your nails can give you a lot of information about nutrient deficiencies and things like that so it was a, f a while ago now let me see if i can find what number episode it was i think it might be number 40 oh no number 52 it's a solo episode and yeah i go through all of these crazy random symptoms that people just think are normal but they can actually be telling you that something's wrong because your symptoms are messages at the end of the day so you can't just cover them with makeup or brush them off. They could be early warning signs for something more serious to come. So I would say yes to candida, but then you also need to look deeper. Like why would you have candida in the first place? You can't just go on a parasite cleanse after par uh, candida cleanse after candida cleanse because that doesn't answer like why you have it and it will probably just come back. So it's usually something like suppressed immune system, which can be due to stress, could be high antibiotic usage in the past, um, high sugar and high alcohol intake, or it could be a mold exposure in the environment that can give you fungal overgrowths internally as well. So you can do things like tongue scraping just to address the topical issue. And these alone aren't gonna solve the problem forever. But tongue scraping could be really good. You can do oil pulling with coconut oil in the mornings. I would avoid any um, alcohol-containing mouthwashes or fluoride-containing toothpaste or mouthwashes because they can actually disrupt the oral microbiome and allow the yeast 
to proliferate even more. So similar to taking antibiotics internally, it allows the yeast to thrive. So that's similar to what some of these harsh conventional mouth and oral health products are doing. How often should you get blood tests when tracking recovery from hypothalamic amenorrhea? So when you're trying to get your period, how often should you be testing? I'd say every, it depends on finances as well, or if your blood tests are really showing anything out of range, because a lot of the time, well, sometimes blood work can actually look pretty fine, but it just needs to be patience and consistency before your period does come. So at that point, you probably don't need to do regular testing. But if, for example, your thyroid's been off in the past or you've had a mineral imbalance in the past and you're still working towards that, then regular testing every four to six months would be great, if possible, just to make sure you're not missing anything key and important. But there does come a point where you just need to let go of control, trust that you're doing everything that you can to bring your period back and relax about the whole situation. Because if you're constantly trying to control everything and the outcome, you're sometimes pushing it more away and causing more of a stress, which is preventing your period from coming. Are fibroids something that can be treated naturopathically? Yes, definitely. So I would say fibroids are mainly due to um, estrogen dominance, so like higher estrogen in comparison to progesterone. So that could be... Um, what the, the main cause because any growths or things like that in the body estrogen or estrogen is like a growth stimulating hormone and that's good in like certain parts of the cycle and for certain things like during puberty breast development um during the first part of the cycle it helps build the uterine lining and ovulation but we don't want to be constantly producing estrogen in high amounts but it also needs to be balanced with progesterone um, to kind of thin that lining and prevent any further growth throughout the month. Um, it could also be due to low thyroid function, which again, there's like a whole another, like why is that happening in the first place? The majority of that stems from thyroid autoimmunity. So poor gut health, infections, heavy metal toxicity. So stemming back to the gut and it could be due to poor detoxification. So you might have normal levels of estrogen or estrogen, but you're just not actually getting it out of the system and it's causing it to recirculate. There is a marker on the stool test that I use, the GI map called beta glucuronidase. And a lot of people with fibroids or endometriosis have elevated levels and that stops them from getting rid of the estrogen once it's been used. And instead they just send it all the way back through the body and it causes issues with heavy periods, PMS, weight loss resistance and fibroids. So I would look into high estrogen or, and or low progesterone, thyroid health and poor detoxification or, or high amount of toxicity in the system with heavy metals. Even certain molds or mycotoxins can have um, estrogenic effects. So they can mimic estrogen, similar to what plastics do as well. So make sure you're cleaning up your living environment. First steps to healing hypothalamic amenorrhea. And if anyone's watching, by the way, if you've got questions, just ask them in the comments and I'll try and get to them. So first steps to healing hypothalamic amenorrhea, 12 to 13 years, toxicity from 15 year old breast implants. Yeah, so that's a lot going on. So with hypothalamic amenorrhea, it's stress-induced loss of period. 
So the stress, usually for most people, it's um, an issue with energy balance. So not eating enough or over-exercising or a combination of two. But that's usually the first place to start. Like if you're under-fueling, then your body's not going to have the resources or the energy to reproduce. That's what the period is for. Uh, the menstrual cycle is for ultimately so if you're not giving it what it needs then that function is going to be deregulated so i would first make sure that you're eating enough and tracking your calories so calories are important to some extent making sure that you're getting enough calorie wise because you could be eating a lot of food but it's if it's vegetables and um fruits and things like that that's not a lot of calories compared to junk food so track your calories, make sure you're aiming around like 2,500. This is just average. It depends on your weight and your um, age, exercise levels, those things. But this, this stress this person's dealing with is probably from other things as well, like the breast implants. If you were quite sick from that, then your body just may need time to recover, making sure that you're dealing with any um, heavy metals or mold that could be associated with them as well making sure that your gut's functioning optimally and your immune system is healthy. So the first step would be the calories in, calories out, because that's the easiest, making sure that you're not overdoing it at the gym, making sure you're resting, sleeping. But then there's this whole other world of stressors that could be contributing. Okay, I saw a question in the comments. Currently experiencing painful periods due to estrogen dominance, can eating gluten affect estrogen? Yes, because it can... Um, affect your gut health negatively so there's been studies and in the studies all of the people the participants reacted negatively to gluten so it's the one food that we know for definite causes more leaky gut or intestinal permeability um, there's varying degrees of sensitivity obviously there's people who are celiac and within minutes of even having a crumb of gluten they have this full-blown autoimmune inflammatory attack they're on the extreme end. And then there's people who maybe they live in Italy, they've eaten pasta and the ancestors have eaten wheat for years, but maybe the inflammation and the negative reaction only lasts for two hours after eating it. And maybe the, the stress bucket overall is pretty low because they're in the sun, they're not stressed out, they're living like a slower paced lifestyle. So maybe gluten's not a huge deal for them. But I usually start with removing gluten for most people, especially if you're symptomatic. Like if you're feeling pretty healthy, then there may, may not be any need. But it could just be one of the things that's adding to the inflammation in the body. So it's probably not just gluten that's causing symptoms and causing inflammation, but it may be just one of the puzzle pieces. So try removing it, see how you get on. But you can't just do that on its own and not address other things. I would also consider um, like addressing any constipation that's there, looking at any gut infections. A GI map in this case, or so a stool test, would maybe a good idea because there's actually one marker on there which can indicate gluten sensitivity, but it's not 100% accurate, but it could be a good starting point because it would help to rule out in or out gut infections, rule in or out gluten, well, investigate gluten a little bit further and it would also look at that beta-glucuronidase marker that I mentioned earlier, which could be elevated and could be causing you to recirculate your hormones in the system. 
Okay, so I'm going to stay on for another 10 minutes or so. And if you've got questions and you're on live, you can ask them. So a few questions here. Does everyone with acne need to remove dairy? I don't see a connection personally. Yeah, exactly. So there's a lot of information online now that's just giving these blanket statement recommendations. And things like that can be useful just to get started with because for some people it is a problem and it could be a game changer. They remove dairy and the 20 years of chronic acne improves. So the internet's great for that reason. But then there's people who are sensitive to everything. So they write a blog post saying, this healed my acne or they make a YouTube video and then someone else reads that and they think they have a problem as well without really doing any other work. So they just start cutting food group after food group out and then they end up on a very restricted diet. They end up with food fears and it's almost impossible for them to heal from anything, but particularly acne because of the low diversity, the low amount of nutrients that they're getting and the high amount of stress they're actually putting their bodies through. So no, not everyone with acne has a sensitivity to dairy. It can be a problem. And sometimes, depending if they've tried an, an elimination in the past, most people I do ask them to either swap to sheep's or goat's dairy for a while, eat organic or, and raw dairy if possible. But there may come a point where I ask my clients to do 30, 60 days without to see if it's a factor. Because if you've never done an elimination, you can't really know or not if you're sensitive to a food. But it can be a health food for some people. Like I'm not totally anti-dairy like some people are. Um, it can have nutrients in there. But that said, there can be a link with acne and, well, any skin issue and dairy sensitivity. It's just known, just some of the hormones that are in there and the insulin like growth factor can just mess with some of your own natural hormones. But it could just be that you have poor gut health, you're not absorbing it correctly, and your immune system's a little bit crazy, so it's a temporary sensitivity. Whereas if someone has an allergy, that's pretty hard to change. Um, parasites are linked though, so some people, they do clear allergies to dairy with parasite cleansing. Just wanted to make that point. So yeah, if you don't see an issue with dairy, I just make sure it's organic, high quality if possible, if you can access that. But continue eating the, the dairy. You're one of the lucky ones. And someone did ask, I think it was the same person asked about how to deal with food fears. So that just kind of confirms it. Just know that what you're reading online isn't tailored to you. So you can't take that blanket statement and apply it to your health and see it to work. Everyone's completely different. And I've definitely been in that as well, where you kind of develop orthorexic or health obsession um, traits or tendencies mine was mainly due to like reactions to food but i definitely experienced that with my skin as well i was like is it nuts is it seeds is it grains is it meat is it eggs like cut every every single thing out and it wasn't it was like my gut was a mess and i had mold illness so <laughs> a lot of the time it's these other things and food it, if you have a sensitivity to food it's actually the result of a deeper imbalance. And maybe lifelong things like gluten and dairy could just be long-term allergies. But if you're reacting to broccoli and almonds and all of this other stuff, it's not the food, it's your body that is the issue. 
Um, and the mindful eating around mealtimes is amazing. So rather than going into that meal with fear and anxiety and wondering if it's going to break you out or not, go into that meal with enjoyment, like savor the meal, slow down, chew your food thoroughly and um, think of the benefits that that food's going to provide you rather than the, the negatives. So be grateful for the food. Um, think of how the nutrients are going to help you heal your skin because your brain is like pretty powerful. Um, I see a question here. Is there any way to rid facial hair permanently with someone with PCOS? If the hair's already there and it's grown, then sometimes it can, it depends on how severe it is, but sometimes it can thin or it can lighten or it can just kind of fall out on its own. But if it's like there every month and it's like thick, coarse, black hair and it's already sprouted, then you will, you would need to do some physical procedure to get rid of it whether that's like waxing threading lasering um, electrolysis those types of things but you would then you would then be able to slow the growth internally and stop the hirsutism from the inside out so remove the herb but then work on at the same time the root causes which are inflammation insulin resistance and chronic stress so things like poor gut health is your liver functioning optimally are you majorly stressed and pumping out androgens, male hormones from your adrenal glands? Do you have a gut infection that's causing stress in the system? Are you eating a bad diet? Are you moving your body? There's so many things that you can do. And PCOS is also a symptom of a deeper imbalance. So it's not the problem. It's, it's at the surface. You need to look under the surface. Last couple of questions, unless you have any more, I'll stay on for five minutes. Makeup brand recommendations that are non-toxic. I don't personally wear a lot of makeup, so I'm not the best person to ask, but I know there's like really good brands these days compared to even just a few years ago, it was like really bad quality. So some of the brands like for um, powder foundation that I sometimes wear, it, I, I use the Tropic. I think that's just the UK brand, but Tropic skincare is good. If you're in the US or elsewhere, um, Beauty Counter is pretty good. I think they, yeah, they do makeup. Another one is Ilia. Ilia's amazing, like on par with like some really good conventional brands. Dr. Houshka is another one. Lily Lola or Lolo is one. They would be my top recommendations. And then last question, causes of hair loss. My shedding increases every few months. Yeah, I've seen this before. Um, well, quite commonly, actually, someone whose hair sheds on a cycle. I think that's what she means by this. But this is pretty natural anyway. So when you deal with hair loss, sometimes you forget what normal actually is because you can't, you can't remember what a normal amount of hair to lose is, especially if you've been dealing with it for a while. So just remember that everyone like loses hair on a daily basis. I think it's like a hundred hairs a day. And when I was struggling and like really stressed with it, I would literally count every single hair that I lost to see how it compared to average and if it was getting worse or better. Nearly. So I, I don't recommend doing that because it's a huge stress on the system, but yeah, just remembering that hair loss is natural, particularly in like autumn, winter time. 
I think just as we are as humans, like women just tend to shed hair similar to animals again. But this can also be due to other things like stress. So remembering that your hair is on a delay. So the hair loss that you're experiencing this month is probably due to your health and factors and stresses that happened three plus months ago, maybe up to six months ago. So you have to put that into perspective as well. So all of the hard work and the changes that you're making now will only really affect your health in a few months time. Because her takes forever to grow anyway. Even if you have no hormone imbalances, there's like a growing phase, which can be months. And then there's a resting phase, which is months. And then there's a shedding phase. So if you're trying to overcome her loss, you need to stop the shedding in the first place, let it rest, let it fall, let it grow. So that's that why it takes so long. And on average, you only grow like an inch of her. A healthy person only grows an inch of her every month. So it really, you need to be in it for the long game when it comes to her loss. But some of the main causes that I see are low thyroid function. Don't be told that you're, um, sorry, I think I waved at someone during that, that fall. Um, but yeah, don't be told that you don't have a thyroid issue by your doctor. You need to see the results for yourself and have them looked over by a functional or holistic practitioner because almost everyone who I work with who has a thyroid issue has been told that they're normal. The doctors are just waiting until they have a full-blown thyroid disease before they do something about it and they've missed 20 years of suboptimal thyroid function. That would be the main one because you need a healthy metabolism to actually grow her it's not a priority in your body's um in your body's mind so thyroid can be stress obviously it can be pcos so high androgens high cortisol low progesterone can be nutrient deficiencies could be infections in the body so many things but when it's cyclical i would say are you getting stressed every few months um and it could also be thyroid because especially if it's Hashimoto so thyroid autoimmunity or elevated antibodies which is actually the most common reason for thyroid issues in the first place it can your antibodies can fluctuate just depending on a ton of things like day by day especially in the initial stages it can go like hyper to hypo every couple of days that's why symptoms can be like so crazy in the initial stages and then over time it starts to just deplete deplete and go into hypothyroidism and someone eventually requires medication so that flip flopping in the initial stages can cause that cyclical hair loss that tends to be the biggest reason in my opinion so i'm all out of questions oh very last one any recommendations for toothpaste that is fluoride or sls free that won't cause breakouts it depends on what country you're in. I'll give you a recommendation for UK and US. I'm trying to think of the, the US one off the top of my head now. Um, I think it's called Boca. So B-O-K-A in, let me just Google quickly. In the US, Boca toothpaste. Yes, it's called Boca. And then in, in the UK, I like Aloe Dent. A-L-O-E-D-E-N-T. That's this fluoride containing one, so just make sure it's one of the fluoride-free ones. And they should be pretty well tolerated. Both of them don't contain either of those ingredients.
I really hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did and you would love a free copy of my hormone-friendly recipes guide, please leave me a rating and review and I will email you a copy as a thank you gift. All you need to do is screenshot your rating and review and send it to me at hormonesinharmony at gmail.com. This guide contains delicious gluten, dairy, grain and refined sugar-free recipes and all the meals contain specific hormone superfoods. Don't worry, there are no boring salad recipes included. Come and say hi over on Instagram at Viva Natural Health as I share a ton of free content every day and you can get to know more about me and how I stay hormonally healthy. If you haven't already, check out my website, vivanaturalhealth.co.uk for my blog and many free guides which cover everything from clearing acne to gut health and hair loss. If you're ready to identify and address the root causes of your hormonal issues, whether that's acne, PMS, PCOS, hair loss or problematic periods, take that first step today and apply for an enrolment call on my website. We'll use this call to discuss the steps that you need to take in order to achieve hormonal harmony and how I could help you get there. See you back here next week for another episode.